Welcome to another episode of Kids Dog Talk. Today, we are interviewing Dr. Stephanie Urban from our Chapel Trail office, and we will be talking about newborns, all things newborns. It's a really, really great conversation, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it today on Kids Dog Talk. Welcome to Kids Doc Talk with Dr. Jenny. Dr. Jenny is a board-certified pediatrician and is the director of telemedicine at Pediatric Associates. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Kids Doc Talk. Today, we are talking to Dr. Stephanie Urban from our Chapel Trail office. A little bit about our guest. Dr. Stephanie Urban was born and raised in Ohio and attended medical school at Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine. She completed her pediatric residency at Miami Children's, now known as Nicholas Children's, in Miami, Florida. Prior to working for Pediatric Associates, she worked at Texas Children's Hospital Center for Women and Children, working in an underserved pediatric clinic. And her interests include things that you will hear about today, newborn care and normal development. In her free time, she enjoys spending time with her husband and two daughters who continue to be her greatest teachers when it comes to caring for the pediatric population. We're going to talk all things newborn babies, newborn visits, um, newborn mommies, and all those important things. Hi, Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with before the baby is even here. Let's talk about that prenatal visit when mommies are kind of shopping around. What should they look for? What's the value of that visit? And what are some important questions to ask? Yeah, so that is a really important visit. I do encourage everyone to try at least two to three months before your due date. Start to do a, a prenatal visit, look into what pediatricians you may want to be, you know, having your baby follow with. Um, reason why you want to do it kind of early is, of course, some babies do not come at their due date. They come early. So be prepared. Um, number one, I think it's important to find an office that suits your location. So either close to where you live, close to where you work, close to where you think you may be starting your baby in daycare. Um, all of those things are important because really in the first year of life, we're gonna be seeing your baby at least eight times. So you wanna make sure it's a location you can get to um, and that you also you know, feel comfortable with the pediatrician that you're choosing. I think things that are important to look into are of course, is the office welcoming new patients? Do they take your insurance? Um, and how is the schedule? How does that work with your schedule? So are there after hours that you can go to? Is there telehealth availability? Um, I know right now we are offering that you can do your prenatal even with telehealth. So that's a fabulous option um, just to know, you know what's really available. Um, and I like to always tell my new parents, please ahead of time, whatever questions you're thinking, write them down. All my new mommies come with their phone full of questions. Um, and that's the best thing. Come prepared. That's what we're here for. We're here to really answer all your questions. Excellent. Yeah, I think people don't realize how often we're going to be seeing babies right in the beginning. Um, that's a lot of visits. So it's important to have somebody that, that's convenient and that you feel comfortable with. So that's excellent advice. So now let's move on, right? Baby's born. Hopefully everything went well. Mommy's healthy. Baby's healthy. Baby's still in the hospital. I think it can be really overwhelming. There's a lot of things that are offered, right? There's shots and there's, there's vaccines. So tell us a little bit about that. Do we need those right away? Are those absolutely essential? And what are the dangers if we decline those? Of course. So yes, in the beginning, you, you have your baby and first thing we're going to say, okay, we're going to be putting this eye ointment on your baby. We're going to be giving your baby some vaccines. 
Um, and you should know what we're doing those reasons for. Um, of course, definitely recommended that we do all those things in the hospital right after your baby's born, the sooner the better. So the erythromycin eye ointment um, is really to prevent in case mommies may have a gonorrhea infection. And that, if that comes into contact with the baby, which is happening possibly when the baby's still in the womb. So regardless of if you deliver your baby C-section or vaginal, we are still gonna recommend that you get that eye ointment on the baby because if for you know, an unfortunate case, if that baby does get gonorrhea in the eye, that can lead to blindness. So we wanna prevent that with a very simple ointment. Um, the next thing that we would, would recommend doing would be vitamin K. So it is a shot, but all it really is is a vitamin. Um, it is trying to prevent vitamin K deficiency bleeding. So back in the 1900s, babies were unfortunately dying because we didn't realize that vitamin K was so important to stop bleeding. So you may not know that your baby's vitamin K deficient. They may be bleeding into the brain, bleeding into the belly. Um, and we find out those things when it's too late. So in the 1930s, there was a great invention. Just give the baby some vitamin K. Um, and that really will prevent any sort of complications that could happen from that. Um, you know, you never want to see too much bleeding coming from the umbilical cord or bruising on your baby or things like that. Um, and so that is definitely why, why we recommend giving that. Um, and then the last thing would be the hepatitis B vaccine. So that one we like to give. Um, hepatitis B is a virus. It can attack the liver. Um, and unfortunately, if babies become infected with this, it can lead in adult life to liver failure, liver cancer. Um, and interestingly, about 4,000 Americans die every year from hepatitis liver disease. So this is something that we can easily prevent once again um, by a simple vaccine that we would give in the hospital. Um, I think that people don't really even realize how common it is to have hepatitis B. So a recent stat says one out of 172 people in the US actually have it asymptomatic, they're healthy, they probably don't even know that they're infected. So it may be a caregiver for your for your baby. Um, you know, if you have a child who likes to share a toothbrush with you and you have hepatitis B, that's a way that they can get it. So really, really important um, to start off giving this vaccine as soon as possible as we can to prevent any of that um, from ever, you know, infecting your baby. Thank you. Yeah, I think those are all really critical. And I think we sort of take for granted the fact that maybe we don't know anybody with hepatitis B or somebody may not think that they have gonorrhea, right? But these are all things that you may not necessarily see right away or may not be aware that a baby's vitamin K deficient, right? So absolutely very sort of minor procedures, but critical and, and absolutely life-saving. So, okay, so now let's say we got, right, got the shot, got the eye drops, got the hepatitis B vaccine, everything's great. We get discharged from the hospital. Probably we're seen by a pediatrician in the hospital. Why do we need to go into the office right away? Why do we need that newborn visit within a few days of being discharged? A great question. So there are a lot of things that we check for in that first newborn visit. Uh, most parents are gonna realize when they come for that visit that their baby's lost weight. So all babies are gonna lose weight within that first week or two of life. Um, but we really wanna make sure are they, are they losing enough or are they losing too much? Um, we wanna be mindful of that. And that kind of plays into, you know, well, okay, how is your baby feeding? So if you're breastfeeding your baby, how's that going? Are there any concerns with maybe the latch that your baby has, a tongue tie, things like that? Um, of course, in a lot of babies, we're rechecking for jaundice. 
So if the baby's yellow, sometimes we need to be seeing them for those levels to make sure that they're coming down appropriately. Um, and we're gonna be asking questions, you know, how frequently are you feeding your baby? How are the wet diapers? Things like that. Um, for our mommies who are exclusively breastfeeding at this visit, I also like to recommend that they start giving vitamin D. So that's the supplement that you can get over the counter. Um, your baby's gonna be getting all the nutrients that they need from formula. And mommy should continue taking their prenatal vitamins as well after the delivery. However, unless they're supplementing with a really high amount of vitamin D themselves, that's the one vitamin that doesn't go through the breast milk enough. So we'd also recommend that. So all those things we're checking on the baby, but at the same time, we also like to use this visit to check on parents. Um, you know, how are you doing? There's a lot of changes when you bring home this baby. Um, so we know that in the first couple of weeks, um, parents can experience what we call baby blues. Hormone levels drastically drop in, in mommy. So you may not be feeling, you know, completely like yourself. But if these symptoms, you know, kind of feeling sad and things like that, if they go longer than two weeks, then we may be looking at, okay, are we dealing with postpartum depression? Um, I was looking at some interesting stats that about 15% of moms will suffer from postpartum depression, but up to actually 25% of dads will also suffer from postpartum depression. So things that we need to be screening for and, and looking for, you know, low energy in parents, anxiety, extreme sadness, are they, you know, having irritability, severe mood swings, um, are they changing in their sleeping or their eating patterns, um, or having any thoughts of harming themselves or their baby. So this is an important time where we really need to screen and make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're catching that. And with that, I think the most important advice that I could give for parents is just have support, ask for help. It's a lot. Um, you know, make sure that if you can try to outsource a lot of things. So don't worry about how clean your house is or what you're cooking or things like that. This is just the time to kind of get back to as much of a normal as you can care for yourself. Um, and then also your new baby. It's actually very, very good advice. As you know, I had, you know, one of my kids in, in training and so definitely have to lower, lower a lot of standards right in the house, but it, it's all about survival. And sounds like that visit is really important to, to make sure that um, everybody's mental health and the household is being addressed as well as the baby's actual physical health. So absolutely an, an important and um, critical visit that nobody should be skipping. So, you know, you mentioned breastfeeding a little bit. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, tell me kind of the value of breastfeeding. I sometimes, I know it can be a challenging decision for parents to make breastfeeding versus formula? What are some things to take into account and what should breastfeeding parents know? Correct. So I think um, the most important thing is right after you have your baby is do that skin to skin. And if you can, as a mommy, give them that first colostrum. The first colostrum, it's really before your milk even comes in, that is so rich in what we call antibodies, which are proteins that protect your baby and they protect your baby from getting sick. So I like to kind of say, you know, whatever breast milk for as long as you can give it, give it. It's, it's going to be helpful for your baby. It's going to keep them healthy. Um, ideally, we want to be breastfeeding. American Academy of Pediatrics recommends up until six months exclusive. If you can go for a year, that's wonderful. If you can go longer for that, I mean, kudos to you. Um, things that I do, um, you know, think that we need to keep in mind, of course, as you said, it's difficult. It's Actually, it can be painful in the beginning until you, your baby really gets the correct latch. I think um, it's important if you can actually call your insurance ahead of time and see, because most of them give you a free breast pump and just have some things ready at home in case 
you know, maybe the breastfeeding is a little more challenging than you think, um, and maybe you can pump. So for some of our babies, like we mentioned before, that may have jaundice, maybe they need a little bit extra. Um, and so try to, you know, have those things ready. And then also ask some questions about, you know, lactation consultants. So if I do have any, you know, unforeseen issues, who can I call? So what's nice is that we have an option through telehealth where you can actually do a lactation specific visit. So you can get all your questions addressed, um, things if you can also ahead of time, maybe look into a breastfeeding class or just look online. There's lots of videos about, you know, different positionings for breastfeeding, things to increase breast milk, things like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy you mentioned the insurance. I think a lot of people don't realize that pumps could be covered. Even lactation visits or a handful of them could be covered. Even once the baby's discharged from the hospital. And as you mentioned, we, we have the option to have some of those more extensive visits via telehealth. So all fantastic things to kind of be aware of. So we know all the benefits of breast milk, but unfortunately just sometimes not an option for people. Once a family chooses to pursue formula feeding, what are some important things to realize? There's so many different formulas out there can be overwhelming to choose what are some things to know and kind of do's and don'ts of formula feeding? Perfect. Yeah. Ultimately in the end, I mean, we want you to feed your baby. So if formula is the way to go, that's the way to go. Number one, you know, no, no with formula is do not dilute it. So do not try to make it last longer. Um, exactly how it says to make it on the can. That's how you're going to make it. Um, babies do not need any extra water at this point in time. Um, and then another thing that I see frequently is parents who like to kind of change the formulas and they may be changing it without rhyme or reason. So if there's a concern that you have with your baby, please, you know, discuss it with your pediatrician first um, before you're changing formulas too frequently. Um, other things that I think we want to make sure if you are bottle feeding your baby, make sure that you're always supporting their head and the neck when you're feeding them, that you're holding them. We never want you to be propping your baby up, you know, maybe on a pillow with the bottle that can lead to increased risk of ear infections. Um, making sure, of course, that we're always washing our hands before preparing bottles. And um, a big question that I get is, you know, my baby's not burping. So that's okay. There's a lot of bottles on the market now that are for anti-colic. So it has a special little piece in the middle that actually doesn't allow the baby to swallow any air. So if you're either using one of those bottles or if you're breastfeeding and your baby's just not swallowing air, they're not going to burp. And that is perfectly okay. You can, you know, feed them how you would, try to burp them. If they don't do it, don't worry. Um, the gas will come out the other end. And uh, another thing that we get a lot of questions on is spitting up. So, you know, my baby has the milk always coming out of the mouth, things like that. Um, if your baby's happy, if they, you know, maybe spit up a little bit, but they're, they're fine. Um, don't worry about that. That's actually what we call the happy spitter. And that is okay. All babies are going to spit up for the first few months of life. So those are the things that I would say, you know, if, if you're feeling that it's, it's too extensive, then of course we'll, we'll discuss that more. Yeah, you know, I, I think feeding, formula feeding or even breastfeeding and spitting up, that's like such an extensive topic. I feel like we could do, you know, a whole conversation just about that. Um, there's there's definitely a lot to cover, but all important things to know. And definitely these are frequent things that we see in telehealth. We have a lot of questions about feeding, a lot of burping, a lot of reflux, right? Um, and also a lot of stool questions because I feel like new parents are obsessed with uh, poopy diapers and stool, right? Because there's so many differences from the first meconium to kind of that transitional stool to then, you know, frequent, frequent bowel movements. So what are some poopy concerns that you have or things that parents should maybe worry or not worry about? Exactly. Oh my 
my gosh, so many poopy questions. <laughs> so as you mentioned, right in the beginning, those first couple of days, your baby's going to be passing meconium. That's that thick, black, sticky stool. Then what we really want to see is that, that change of color that goes away. So if you're a breastfeeding mommy, your baby stools are going to start turning a yellow, almost mustardy. I like to kind of say, if you know what gray coupon looks like, it kind of has neatness <laughs> to it. And that's going to be your normal newborn stool. That typically if you're breastfeeding, it's going to be after every feed, your baby will have a stool. Now, for some of our other babies who may be getting formula, their stools can be green, brown, and they may not be as frequent. So that becomes a big concern. My baby hasn't pooped in a few days. This is the end of the world. Um, it is not. As long as your baby continues to feed well, their tummy soft, once again, they're happy, um, they will stool. So important things are, you know, it should be one of those colors. If you ever notice that your baby's stool is starting to become black again, or if you're seeing blood in it or too much mucus, um, definitely we need to, you know, discuss that. Or if the color is starting to look like a white, a creamy beige, that's not normal. Um, and that we do need to know about right away. For sure. Yeah. A, a lot of frequent stool questions. I feel like that could also be a whole topic. And, and for some reason, yeah, parents just, just really love it. I think it's so satisfying um, when babies poop and so everybody gets very excited about it. Um, so de definitely important, important things to know. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You know, we mentioned postpartum depression and how bringing a newborn into the household is definitely a big change for everybody. Let's talk about siblings. I know you definitely know a lot about this, right? You have girls that are very close in age. So tell us a little bit about that. What are some things to kind of help prepare older siblings for in terms of arrival of a new baby and some some challenges to be aware of? Yes, it can definitely be a challenge depending on the age, like you mentioned, the spacing of your children. Um, so things that I think work are reading books to the older sibling, explaining to them they're going to be a, you know, either a big sister, there's I'm a big sister, I'm a big brother books, those are fabulous. Um, just preparing them for the changes that are going to happen. There's also books that will show pictures, you know, cartoon depictions of moms that are breastfeeding, so that the, the baby, you know, is going to be fed and the older sibling is going to be okay with that. Um, other things that I think are super helpful is actually buying a doll for your for your the sibling, it can be either a boy or a girl, and make sure that they understand, okay, so I need to feed the baby now. Why don't you feed your doll now? I need to change the diaper now. You change your baby doll's diaper. And so that they feel included. We really want to include them in as much of things as we can. Um, one thing that I know that a lot of people will do is actually have the sibling buy the baby a present. So that the sibling feels like, oh my gosh, this new baby likes me already. Like, look at this, they gave me this present. Um, and that can be really, really special and actually a memory that, that the sibling will remember. Um, it, yeah. yeah, just trying if you can, you know, having alone time with your first child or, or your second child, what, whatever the number may be, um, to let them know, hey, yes, there are a lot of changes going on, but as much as the routine that we had with you before, we're going to try to stick to that. 
That's excellent. Yeah, I know it can definitely be challenging, but I always tell parents like they're going to adjust eventually, right? You don't see adults still, still having tantrums about um, having a, a sibling in the home. So definitely a big adjustment, but sounds like there's a lot that we can do to help those siblings prepare. Um, so, so helpful to know. I love that the present idea looks so cute. Um, so I want to talk about something that I think could also be a much deeper topic, but I think we can't talk about newborns without talking about vaccines. So I you know you and I both trained in a place where we were always told there's nothing controversial about vaccines, right? There's there's no controversy there. But I know in practice, sometimes this can be a challenging conversation with parents. So what is the value of the of the first um, kind of set of vaccines? And why do we need to, you know, even even have a whole bunch of shots right, right in the beginning? So right from the beginning, right, our babies come into this world, and they're exposed to viruses, they're exposed to bacteria, they're exposed to everything. And their immune system is not very well developed. So yes, if you're breastfeeding, you are giving them those antibodies, you're protecting them to a certain extent, but there are other, um, you know, sort of infections that they really could be at risk for. So we want to start giving those vaccines. They can handle it. Um, they, they may be little, but it's really what their immune system needs to start preparing them to fight off any future, um, you know, kind of illnesses that they may come into contact with. For sure. For sure. Absolutely critical. I feel like we, yeah, it's a whole nother thing that we can just talk a lot more about, but absolutely important to, to be aware that um, that, that first set of shots is, is really critical to kind of get their immune system up, up and running and making sure they're protected as early as possible. So now a little bit more of a fun topic, rashes. We see this a lot on telemedicine. Parents are, are really worried about rashes. So touch, I know that, you know, there's so many, but can you just touch on like a couple that maybe have some scary names or maybe are super duper common, but really tend to be pretty harmless? For sure. One would be milia. Those are going to be a lot of little white bumps you can see on your baby's nose, on the cheeks. Those are going to completely go away within the first week of life. Another one is called erythema toxicum. So it has a scary name. It is not toxic at all. It's going to look like multiple kind of red blotches with maybe little white spots with redness around them. This one's going to start typically when your baby's about two to three days old. It's going to be kind of on the trunk, the body of the baby. Um, almost half of babies will develop this sort of rash, and that's going to go away on its own in the first about you know week or two of life. So that one it's okay. Um, another thing that we see a lot is baby acne. Baby acne starts, it's going to typically be on the face, again, red bumps. That's going to be starting when your baby's about two to four weeks old. Um, and that one, once again, it will go away on its own. It may not look that, that pretty for the time being, but it will go away. Um, things that you can do are, you know, apply breast milk with a cotton swab topically to it. Um, and just bear in mind that if your baby has acne, it does not mean that as a teenager, they're going to have acne. I think that's really important. Yeah, people hear acne and then they get nervous thinking that this is like a forever thing on their beautiful, perfect new baby. So um, important to remember, totally, totally temporary. So rashes always makes me think about belly buttons because right when we're looking at a rash, we're looking at that a whole teeny tiny body. And usually that belly button kind of can start to look a little bit scary when it's drying up and, and falling off. I know parents are concerned so much, so much can go wrong there and sometimes can, can look like, like it is going wrong. So tell us a little bit about that. What are normal things to expect with that belly? button? When should we expect the stump to fall off? And what are some things that might be red flags for us? The best advice I could give for any parent is just leave it alone. <laughs> Don't worry too much about the belly button. It's going to start to look black. It's going to start to look, yes, not pretty, but it will fall off on its own. And it should do that within about the first three weeks of life. 
And if you feel like, you know, it's maybe having too much blood from the area, or if it's draining liquid, like a yellowy liquid that maybe didn't look like pus, if it's looking super, super red around the area, kind of swollen, things like that, um, there can be rare, um, you know, infections with the belly button. But for the most part, if you just keep it dry and let it be, it will fall off and, and all will be well. Your, your baby will have a beautiful belly button in the end. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Leave it alone. I think that that's always good advice in general, um, in general pediatrics, right? Intervene as little as possible. Talking about newborns, we obviously have to mention sleep and newborn sleep. Tell us a little bit about the importance of a safe sleep environment and some expectations to have for newborn sleep. You want to make sure that before your baby even comes home, that you have ready your safe sleep environment. So your baby should be sleeping in the same room as you, but not in the same sleeping surface. So they need to be in their own crib, their own bassinet. Um, it should really just have one tight fitted sheet. We don't want any of the pretty, you know, bumpers or pillows or blankets or anything added like that. Um, and the important thing is that we always want to put our baby back to sleep. So on their back always for naps, for bedtime, so that that way their face is up and they're getting as much air as they possibly can. That's the best way to, that we can prevent um, SIDS, so sudden infant death syndrome. Um, and the, the really important thing is, you know, they're not gonna be sleeping that much. So try to, if you can, you know, for nap times, do lay them down in the crib or in the bassinet. We don't want them to get too used to being held in arms and needing constant motion and things like that for sleeping. Um, so swaddle your baby in the beginning. Um, you can try to put on some white noise, some comforting, you know, daytime noise and things like that, but do put them on their back to sleep. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's the most important. If there's any takeaway from, from anything that we said today, I think it's probably the most important thing, right? Back to sleep, no pillows, blankets, or stuffed animals. Unfortunately, we still do see sudden infant death and we do see babies kind of, you know, pass away and usually suffocation is the cause of that. So absolutely um, tragic and 100% preventable. So tell us a little bit about tummy time. We talked about right, safe sleep and putting the baby back to sleep. So I know a lot of parents like to have the baby on the tummy when the baby is awake. Is there any benefit to that and is is that an important exercise to do? Tummy time is really important. Um, and reason being, right, so we have our babies for a lot of times either napping or sleeping on the back of their head. And unfortunately their little heads because of all that um, positioning can become flat. So you see babies, right, that are in helmets and things like that. So we can try to prevent that by doing tummy time. Um, tummy time also eventually is going to help your baby build up some strength. So that upper body strength that they need to start holding their neck up so that they can start feeding and then start rolling as well. So tummy time is great, kind of like baby push-ups, um, if you will. And yes, I definitely recommend it. The goal, babies do not typically like it in the beginning. As you mentioned, we want them to be awake while we're doing it. We don't want them to fall asleep in that position. So you do have to be watching them while they're doing the tummy time. Um, you know, sometimes either playing with a little toy in front of them or just talking to them, singing, playing with them while they're doing the tummy time. Um, and the goal is really four times a day for 15 minutes each session. Now, if you're holding your baby over your shoulder, you're burping them, things like that, that also can count as tummy time because that is time off the back of the head. 
Yeah, so perfect. So any any upright time is usually is usually counted towards that. So I think that's really important. And as you mentioned, we always need to make sure that the baby is awake during this time, right? So I know parents worry about that kind of flattening in the back of their head, and they like to put the baby on the side to sleep, prop up the baby, put the baby on the tummy. And as we mentioned, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely not something that is safe or encouraged. So talking about sleep and, and pacifiers and tummy time, you know, these are all things that can be stressful and sometimes not stuff that baby enjoys. And so then we need to talk about crying and baby crying. What are some reasonable expectations for how long baby should cry? And how does colic fit into all of that? Um, I know colic is a big concern and sometimes we attribute it to gas or spit up or constipation. Um, and parents are surprised to find out it just means like a lot, a lot of crying. So what is a reasonable and normal amount of time? And when should we worry? Babies? you can imagine, right? They don't know how to talk. They don't know how else to express themselves. They will cry. Um, on average, they're going to cry for about a total of two hours per day. Um, and that's average. Some babies are going to cry more. Um, I think most important is that parents always pick up their baby when they are crying because your baby's trying to communicate something to you. So maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're too cold. Maybe they're too hot. Maybe they just miss your voice and you know they've been so close and warm and all these you know hearing your heartbeat constantly uh, maybe they just need a little bit of, of stimulation sometimes they also may be overstimulated so then sometimes maybe they do you know after you make sure that they've they're fed their temperature is okay all those things then sometimes they do need to be you know laid down um, and really what can happen is if your baby is crying for more than three hours a day, for more than three days a week, that fits the definition for what we call colic. As you mentioned, there's really not one great explanation for why colic happens, um, but that sort of intense nonstop crying for really no reason um, tends to happen later in the evening times, like the witching hour. And I always just kind of tell parents, you know, they've probably been swallowing some air during the day with all this other crying that they've been doing. And maybe they're just a little bit uncomfortable. So one thing that you can do to help is kind of distract them from maybe if they're having any sort of discomfort with white noise. So white noise is great. Um, and then there's other kind of mnemonics that you can try to, there's a lot of books that talk about the S's. Mm -hmm. So S for swaddle. So swaddle your baby, make them feel like they're really tight in that womb again. Shush. So do the, you know, sh 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 that because they're used to hearing your blood flowing. That's a noise that can be calming to them. Sway. So try to, you know, give them that constant motion that they're used to having. And then another one would be sock. So that can be with a pacifier. Um, as long as your baby is breastfeeding successfully, has a good latch, and you're not concerned about any sort of, you know, confusion with the pacifier, um, sucking on a pacifier can be helpful. The one caveat to that is you don't want to use the pacifiers that have any sort of little animal or weighted thing attached to it, um, because that can be a breathing sort of um, I mean, obstruction, right? It's, it's an obstruction, right? Exactly. It, it can yeah. contribute to what we talked about. We wanted to avoid with crib, you know, pillows, bumpers, all of that. So yeah, those are really cute, but yeah, important to know that it's not recommended because they can just press on that little baby's nose and then it gets hard to breathe. And cover them. Yep. Obstructing to the airway. And then along with that, so if your baby is crying, 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 you cannot figure out what is this baby crying for. Um, the most important thing to remember is please never shake your baby. Um, you do not want to be forceful. Um, that can really cause some serious damage and even death in your baby. 
So if you're feeling frustrated, if you're just like, I don't know what else I could possibly do for this baby, put them down in that safe sleep environment that we already discussed. And it is totally fine if you need to take a five minute break, even a 10 minute break, go outside, get some fresh air. Um, You know, your baby's safe where you put them, call somebody, call a friend, you know, if you can just realize that this isn't going to last forever. Um, Colic is very, very frustrating, but your baby will outgrow it. Yeah. Colic colic can definitely be frustrating, especially when we as doctors kind of just, you know, reassure that everything is fine. And, um, and unfortunately not a whole lot we can do, but those strategies I think are really fantastic that you mentioned, right? Swaddling um, and, and the shushing and the sucking and the gentle motion, I think is really important. I've seen it kind of be referred to as a fourth trimester. So I like the idea of kind of like recreating the womb environment because that's kind of what we're thinking that the baby is missing and making them a little bit more comfortable. So um, definitely definitely can be can be scary and frustrating to deal with but absolutely temporary there's a really great website that i actually want to mention it's called the purple cry and i actually learned about it when i was at a conference um learning about child abuse and it's actually an initiative that came out against like shaken baby right and and parents who were just completely overwhelmed and frustrated with crying babies and resorted to shaking so purple cry um you can just look it up on google but it's a really great resource talking about colic reasonable expectations for colic all the same things that you mentioned right strategies to deal with and and sort of just just some education and reinforcement of the idea that as frustrating and as as challenging it can be to deal with it's absolutely normal doesn't mean the baby's not healthy and as you mentioned does not last forever yes the period of purple crying that is a real thing it's a a, a real (laughs) thing but yeah you know once you know and and it's another really important reason to have those recurrent checkups to making sure that you're following up with your pediatrician and that's another reason that we see the baby so frequently and that first year of life is making sure they're growing and developing and um right babies can't tell us what's wrong and so we really have to rely on their on their growth and and their thriving to reassure us that everything is fine despite the fact that there's spending all day crying, which, which, can, which can be tough. So we, we covered a lot of ground today. Anything that you want to make sure that we know, any kind of do's or don'ts or things that you really want to empower um, new parents with? I would say just one last thing um, would be if you're at all concerned, I see a lot of questions all the time with the genital area. So in our baby girls, they're born and typically they do have a lot of you know, kind of mucus or white residual. Sometimes they can even have a little bit of discharge, a little bit of bloody discharge. All of these things are normal. All of those things are because they were exposed to mommy's hormones in the womb. And so that it's okay. If you, you know, can do a little sponge bath, just warm water only, wipe from front to back, you can eventually clean that out. That's totally okay. Um, Same thing would be for our um, babies who are not circumcised. Just leave the foreskin alone. Do not pull that back. Just let it be. Um, For our babies who are circumcised, make sure that you're following the instructions after the circumcision. You know, try to keep it covered with either Vaseline or some sort of lubricant, the gauze. Keep it clean how you're, you know, advised to do that. Um, don't be afraid. It is going to look very red after the circumcision and it will form basically a soft yellow scab. So a lot of parents come into the office and they are just like, what is going on here? Um, but typically it's going to heal and it's going to be totally fine. Um, and then one other thing that can be kind of like, you know, an old wives tale is if you see that your baby looks like maybe they have some breast tissue and maybe there's some, maybe looks like it might actually have milk in it. Um, and you would be tempted to squeeze that milk out. Please do not do that. 
So that can actually lead to um, infection in that area in your baby. So just let that be, that is going to go away on its own. Okay. Important stuff. It's so interesting to kind of think about all this from a parent perspective, all these things that can look absolutely catastrophic, like bloody discharge and like yellow mucus, right? And a belly button that's, that's oozing all of these things that are normal. And then, you know, things, things that we worry about are, are maybe things that people wouldn't think that we do, uh, you know, sleep and, and pillows in the crib, right? So um, really, really important, important, I think, to talk about and, and, and to, to educate. So thank you so much. This was fantastic. A lot of really good ground covered. And I think definitely opens the door for us to maybe have some deeper discussions on things like eating, um, sleep, and, and some other really important newborn topics. So thank you so much. Thank you. I think, you know, number one, just enjoy your baby. Enjoy being a parent. It is a beautiful experience, um, but it is an experience. There are a lot of things that you're going to be questioning, and that's what we're here for, to answer those questions. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you. Make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for joining us on Kids Doc Talk.